It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. After the podcast, check out our other episodes, all our Bible study resources, videos, download the CQ app, and more at ChristianQuestions.com. Today's topic is, How is Satan Trying to Devour Me? Coming up in this episode... The raging battle between good and evil should not be a surprise to any of us. What is surprising is the role that Christians play in this battle. If you're a true disciple of Christ, then you are by definition also a target for the destructive anger of Satan's wrath against God. So what do we do? Now, here's Rick, Jonathan, and Julie. Welcome everyone, I'm Rick. I'm joined by Jonathan, my co-host for more than 20 years. Glad to be with you. And Julie, a longtime CQ contributor, is also with us. Hi, gentlemen. Jonathan, what's our theme scripture for today's episode? 1 Peter 5, 8. Be of a sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Most Christians are very aware of Satan's influence in our world today. We know he's opposed to God and his will at all turns, and as the god of this world, Satan will ferociously fight to keep all that he has laid claim to. What we don't often think about is how we as individual Christians fit into the intensity of Satan's raging against God. The scriptures tell us that his objective was and continues to be usurping the authority that ultimately belongs to the Most High God for himself. Anyone and anything that in any way, shape, or form stands in the way of Satan's fight over his perceived authority is fair game for his unrighteous anger. As Christians, we love God supremely and seek to daily walk in the footsteps of our Lord Jesus Christ. This blessing means that we are also Satan's prime targets. So what now? How is Satan trying to devour me? That's the question. Well, This comes directly from a scripture. The Apostle Peter sets the stage for the dramatic battle that Satan wages upon followers of Jesus. And Jonathan, you read the theme text, 1 Peter 5, 8, but let's read the context, 1 Peter 5, 6 through 11. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be of a sober spirit, be on the alert, Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. So there's a lot in those scriptures, and we're going to walk through those scriptures throughout this entire podcast and unfold this battle against the roar of Satan. So when we're going to talk about Satan roaring, seeking to devour, let's talk first about a real live lion and the lion's roar. Julie, give us some background on lions and their roars. Well, we picked up a few interesting lion facts from wildexplained.com, and they said this, roaring and making sounds are a vital part of lions' interaction with each other and other animals. A lion's roar can be heard up to five miles away. They use different types of roars to communicate different things. While a fierce roar is a warning sign to intruders, they're using other types of sounds with their pride members. And here's a question. Do lions roar when hunting like we see in the movies? Like many things in Hollywood, this is just a dramatization and has no connection with real life. Lions don't roar when hunting. That was a surprise to me. Yeah, We me also too. had one quick quote from scienceabc.com. Male lions roar for various reasons. A lion may roar to scare off an intruder, another lion, or a predator, and it could also roar to warn its pride of imminent danger. So there's a lot about lions' roars that we don't just generally think about. I mean, that's not the kind of conversation you have around the water fountain at work. Hey, did you know this about a lion's roar? So getting into some of the actual facts of of the reality, 
of, of what nature produces here. The fact they can be heard five miles away and it's a warning sign and, and they don't roar while hunting. This helps us to see this whole picture in a much different light. So here's the big question then, because I always thought it was a lion roaring while hunting. So if the lions don't roar when hunting, well, then what does this scripture mean when it says he comes around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour? Jonathan, what's that word mean? Well, devour means to drink down, that is gulp entire, literally or figuratively. And we have two examples, Matthew 23, 24 in the King James Version. Ye blind guides, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. And 1 Corinthians 15, 54, also in the King James Version. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be bought, brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Okay, so in those two scriptures, we have the Pharisees straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel. Obviously, Jesus is using figurative language. And in the first Corinthian scripture, it says, and this is a good thing, death is swallowed up in victory. So seeking someone to devour, that's the word that we're looking at here. It doesn't mean that you're looking for a meal to eat. Rather, it's seeking to completely consume something or to completely obliterate something. So it's not like I'm hungry, I need to eat. It's I'm looking to get rid of something or I'm going to swallow it whole as a, as, a, as a sarcastic look at, you know, falling for something that's very, very untrue when you should not be doing so. so. So if Satan's not hungry, why is he fiercely roaring at us? Now that is the real question about the, that, that sets this whole thing up. And folks, this is really important because we don't normally think about this. He fiercely roars at us because we follow Jesus. And you say, well, okay, yeah, sure, that's, that's logical. But wait, we follow Jesus who came to take the kingdoms of the world from him. How do we know this? Because the scriptures tell us. Let's go to John 4, 5 to 8. And this is when Jesus was just baptized. He's up in the wilderness by himself and Satan comes to tempt him. Luke 4, 5 through 8. And he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory. For it has been handed over to me, and I will give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Well, here's the line in the sand. Jesus will only worship his heavenly Father. Satan pronounced the world belonging to him. He sees us as predators and intruders on his territory as we serve the lion of the tribe of Judah, as it tells us in Revelation 5, verse 5. So it's not about a meal, it's about dominion or protecting his domain. Exactly, exactly. So I've got a few more fun lion facts for you. A lion's roar is said to be as loud as 114 decibels. What does that mean? It's equivalent to 25 gas-powered lawnmowers. Okay. Hold, hold, hold on, hold on. Let's yeah. just think about that. You know how loud a gas-powered lawn, if you've ever mowed the lawn. When with, my neighbors wake me up at 6 a.m.? Yeah, yes, I'm very aware. 25 of them together. That, that's, that's, that's a lot of sound. Go ahead. So if the roar is 114 decibels, at 120, hearing damage can occur. It's loud. <laughs> well, Satan's roar is saying, get off of my turf or you'll regret it. You're in my way. <laughs> Okay, thanks, Jonathan. <laughs> well, and, and you know what? It's supposed to be scary. And the fact that the lion's roar is that big and it is that powerful, and it's about domain. It's about get off of my turf. This is a serious thing. It's much more than the lion being hungry. This is protecting what he perceives to be his. So important, important understanding of what the scripture actually means. So quick quote regarding hunting techniques from wildexplained.com. The primary way of hunting is by stalking its prey. The lioness stays hidden for as long as possible, then approaches the target. And when they get close enough, they charge and chase the prey. The secondary tactic is reserved for hunting larger prey. The whole pride corners the animal, comes at it from different sides. And in this scenario, male lions will also join the hunt. So 
the lionesses do most of the hunting. That's a fact. But when you've got a larger target, something that is intimidating to that lion, he will gather the entire pride, the group of lions together, surround it to destroy it. And, you know, it's very interesting to me that the group of lions is called a pride. And when we think about it, Satan's pride is very powerful. Just like the pride, when you put all those lions together, is also very powerful and very dangerous. And it's interesting, the scriptures describe, not in these words, but they describe Satan's pride. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So this scripture does describe to us Satan's pride. Remember, the pride is those under his control. Because when you read this scripture, it says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, not ruler singular, rulers plural, against powers, not power singular, power plural, against world forces, plural, against spiritual forces, plural, in heavenly places, plural. This means that Satan has this army, this pride that is ready, willing, and able to surround and devour anyone crossing the line onto his turf. As Christians, we are targets. So we need to pay really close attention to what Peter is telling us about Satan going about like a roaring lion. It's not about being hungry. It's about protecting his turf. So as we look at this, it's the lion's roar and our Christian walk. Jonathan, let's, let's, let's put these things together. To be intimidated by Satan and get off his turf would be to compromise our following of Jesus. It would be to rationalize our decision to give in to the hardships of life, to cave in to pressures of becoming spiritually mature. Satan getting us off of his turf would mean that he neutralizes us as threats to his dominion. So if he is going to neutralize us, that means he's going to disrupt the path that we're walking. His object is to destroy us. It's the destruction of our heavenly victory. He wants us out of the way at any cost. This is what Peter was talking about in this scripture. So being a follower of Christ is to be living our lives in the middle of a spiritual rebellion with Jesus at our side. The powerful, paralyzing and fear-invoking roar of Satan comes to us in many ways. How do we prepare? Staring down this battleground we find ourselves on can be daunting to say the least. It is so important to remember that we are standing where we stand because God through Jesus has arranged it so. Our Father knows we can be victorious as long as we are spiritually armed and ready to stand for truth. Spiritually armed and ready to stand for truth. In our theme text, we are given four ways to internally prepare for the lion's roar and his attack. 1 Peter 5, 6 through 8. Therefore, here is the first way. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. The second way, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Here's the third way. Be of sober spirit. And number four, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So I love this because we're warned that the lion is going to roar, but here God tells us how to counteract the attack. And I never realized that as a soldier of Christ, we need to be armed for battle on the inside and not just the outside. Yeah, and it's it's much more than most of us ever stop to think about. And and that's why studying the scriptures like this is so very, very important. These, these four ways, Jonathan, that you just read, uh, to stand against Satan's intimidation can and should be very personal for each of us. In our last segment, we touched, just barely touched on wearing the whole armor of God. And you can read about the armor of God in Ephesians 6, 14 to 17. And we've got a wonderful two-minute animated CQ Kids video called 
What is the Armor of God? Find it along with over 100 videos for kids and adults at our YouTube channel. You find that at christianquestions.com slash YouTube. So the armor of God is an important thing. So now think about the armor as protecting us from the outside in. Because you know what? That's what armor does. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. So it's interesting. It's, it doesn't say take up the sword or take up the shield or take up the breastplate of righteousness. It, takes a, it says take up the full armor of God so that you can do everything and stand firm. Wearing this armor enables us to stand and fight the godly battles that are before us. And make no mistake, if we ever try to fight those godly battles without God's armor, we're doomed. It will not end well for us. We have to be armed from the outside in. On top of this, though, we need to be sure that we stand and fight for what is holy. It's one thing to go out and fight. It's another thing to fight in a holy fight. And 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 14 and 15 are going to help us understand this piece. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. So it's talking about be holy in all your, your behavior. The idea is that if we are sanctified, we have God's Spirit within us, and it says that we're supposed to be holy, we're supposed to be set apart for God's purposes, that means that wherever we go, whatever we do, we should essentially be walking on holy ground. So we should be fully armed and walking on holy ground. This reminds me of when we went over that account recently of Joshua getting ready to battle for the city of Jericho. Remember, an angel of the Lord visited him and told him to remove his sandals because he was standing on holy ground. Where God's influence is, the ground is holy. And see, that's, that's an important point because Joshua is standing somewhere outside of the walls of the pagan city of, of Jericho. And yet, because God's angel was there, that ground was holy. Therefore, wherever we go with God's Spirit about God's work, that ground is also holy. So we need to see that and we need to understand that. And this is why Satan wants us out of the way so badly, because we bring holy ground wherever we go. So there's a lot to this. Combating the lion's roar. There are several do's and several don'ts. Do remain dedicated. Don't disengage. So it's dedication versus being disengaged. Which way do we go? Think about these preparedness steps that we're talking about, these four steps that Jonathan read earlier, as protecting us from the, like Julie, you said it before, from the inside out. When these steps are applied from the inside out, they validate us as armored up soldiers of Christ. So before we get into the first step, again, the, f the four steps, be humble, cast your anxiety on him, be a sober spirit, and be on the alert. Well, let's begin with our first one. 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Satan will sometimes aim his roar at a central source of our human needs and security. So, so what do we mean by that? This source of our security can be things like strong and reliable friendships, your, your home, or anything anything that gives you, as an individual Christian, a sense of security. Sometimes in our experiences, that source or that sense of security is protected, and we merely suffer temporary inconvenience. So in other words, sometimes it's, it's challenged, and there, there's hurt, but we can get through it. But sometimes that source of security is damaged or even destroyed, leaving us without and leaving us vulnerable. So our experiences can bring our, our sense of security in, in this world on trial, and sometimes it can go well, we get through it, and sometimes it goes very, very poorly, very even tragically. Either way, the question remains, am I humbly keeping all of my true security in God through Christ? When a soldier is unsteady and insecure in his or her position, they're weak and they're easier to overtake. And when we don't feel secure and circumstances go beyond our perceived ability to cope, we can get anxious and depressed, and in such a state, we're easier to overtake. So the question is, am I going to fall apart when something or someone I depend on goes away? 
And I'll give you a, a, an example that happened to me recently. I was, I'm going to admit this, I was really shook up at the beginning of the pandemic when no one knew what was happening or even how COVID-19 was transmitted. I love food <laughs> and I'm, I'm sad to admit that I've taken food security for granted. When I saw empty shelves at my grocery store after waiting an hour to get in, I broke down and I cried out of fear and disbelief. This was new to me. Like I felt like grabbing the animals and hopping into the ark. <laughs> yeah. I don't take this for granted anymore. My prayer is thank you, Lord, for all the times I had food available at the speed of thought. And I have to ask myself, how am I going to react if this becomes a regular occurrence like it is now in many parts of the world? Well, no. So, so Julie, your, your sense of security uh, in that one instance being food was put out there and it's a trial and see satan will roar at you just like he roars at the rest of us whenever any of our senses of security can be uh interrupted well do we desert the lord because we can't find our next meal now did you just purposely say dessert <laughs> <laughs> all righty then <laughs> So let's let, let's move on. <laughs> let's let's get to the let's get the to, to the scripture here and and put this in perspective. Jonathan, First Peter chapter five verse six. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time. It is easy to take our earthly sources of security for granted. Satan knows this, and the ferocity of his roar can sometimes be focused on redirecting all of our attention towards the preservation or replacement of that security. Our fear of loss is now positioned to compromise our spiritual security. Sure, because we panic and we try to get that security back at all costs. So it comes down to when whatever it is that our security is in is challenged or taken away or damaged or hurt or whatever, what do I do with that? Do I look at that as, okay, this is in the realm of God's providence, and I can keep moving forward? Or does that thing, that security, become the only important thing in my life, and I focus on it, and I forget all of the other parts of what I'm supposed to be doing? You see, when we get into that kind of a position, that's Satan's roar. It's there to intimidate us. Satan's roar lurks in the experiences of all Christians' lives. Three words. Stand your ground. Why? Because the ground on which we stand, as we talked about before, it is holy. And the ferocity of Satan's roar can easily, easily make us forget that the work in which we are engaged is holy. Our highest source of security is holy. And, and I just want to explain one thing that I think is really important. Even if you're doing mundane things in life, and you are a dedicated Christian walking in Jesus' footsteps, folks, that is still holy work. You go to work, and you stock shelves, that is holy work. That's a place and a way to let your light shine. So when we go about our daily lives, let us maintain the focus that, that we are about God's holy work and not get overrun by the insecurity of our loss of security. So, whether we've lost a source of our human security or not, how do we view our circumstances? How do we step back and look at what's happened to us? And Julie, you gave us an example, and it was a very honest and vulnerable example of the shock and the fear that you personally experienced. And, and that is a very common thing. Well, let's look at the, how the Apostle Paul viewed some of the losses in his life. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. Think about this for a moment. The Apostle Paul was an accomplished Pharisee. He was well-known, he was well-educated, he was intelligent, he was aggressive, he was disciplined, he was passionate, he knew the Word of God. He had all of this going for him. Once he comes to Christ, and remember the way he comes to Christ is he's on his way to, to destroy Christians. That's the way he comes to Christ. Once he comes to Christ, he looks at all of the amazing accomplishments, and he called himself, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And he says, it's all garbage. It's all 
merely garbage. Why? So that I may gain Christ. Look, he still had to make a living. He was still a tent maker. That was his holy work. He preached the gospel. He supported himself. And everything from the past was trash. This is how we need to look at being about God's work when our security is interrupted. And if you want to see somebody's security interrupted, look at the Apostle Paul uh, on the road to Damascus. I mean, talk about a complete life interruption, yet he moved right forward through it. In contrast, in contrast now to the ferocity of Satan's roars of threat and destruction, let's go and take a look at Jesus in his invitation for us to come to him. And remember, Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Matthew 11, we're going to read part of verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. When Satan roars to intimidate us regarding our earthly security, here we see the contrast. Jesus calls us to work alongside of him in the holy work that he himself was called to do. What a privilege. And notice the gentleness. Notice the care. Now, Satan is this, this lion seeking to devour, and Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah, the rightful king, if you will, the rightful king. And his attitude toward us is, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm gentle and humble. You can trust in that. Can you trust in Satan? Not even close. You've got these two lions, and this is because Jesus is about godly business. He is meek and humble in his lion-like authority. And it's a completely different picture than we have from Satan. So folks, it's really simple. Stand your ground. Don't let the lion's roar disengage you through whatever interruptions might happen with your sources of security. Rather, do remain dedicated to continuing in service to your Holy Father, who is the true provider of eternal security. We can disengage or we can remain dedicated. When it comes to our sources of security, we have choices that we need to make in light of the fact that God's providence is there and the lion's roar is also there. We love all those people and things that make us feel secure, and yet we need to see them as God would have us see them. We know that Satan goes after what gives us security. How much further is he willing to go to beat us down? Because this is a desperate spiritual battle being fought by Satan. We can unfortunately be assured that he will not stop at anything in his attempts to usurp God's authority. We need to understand that his highest value targets at the end of this age are those who have God's spirit and do God's will. So there is the, the, the battle and the assurance, the assurance, if you are a Christian walking in Jesus' footsteps, you will be attacked. You will be intimidated. He will seek to knock you not only off the path, but knock you out of commission wherever possible. So we're talking about combating Satan's uh, roar. So when we combat the lion's roar, there are several do's and there are several don'ts. Do remain disciplined. Don't get derailed. So it's a matter of being disciplined. And when you're disciplined, you stay on course. Or sometimes we get derailed. You get knocked off course. It's a choice. And if we do get knocked off, we have to get up and get back on. Remember, there's four things we're talking about. Be humble. Cast your anxiety on him. Be of sober spirit and be on the alert. Our second way to prepare for the lion's roar, 1 Peter 5, verse 7. Cast all your anxiety on him. Satan sometimes aims his roar at our hearts, our very core. So our hearts, that thing that beats inside of you, that, that represents our emotions, carry the deepest of all of our human attachments. These attachments can include parents or children or spouses or extended family and, and our most powerful friendships. Sometimes things, serious things, happen to these people. Sometimes we get through these things, and sometimes our hearts are crushed by unfathomable tragedy. You know, some people can go through sicknesses and get better, but sometimes they don't get better. Sometimes we're suffering from, from, from great, great loss. And either way, Jonathan, there's a question here. What's the question? 
Am I holding my own anxiety or am I wholeheartedly hanging it over to God through Christ? 1 Peter 5, verse 7, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Sometimes we suffer traumatic loss through death, divorce, betrayal, and sickness. And so when we look at this, the kinds of things that we suffer loss from, the question we have to ask ourselves is, okay, it's about anxiety. And folks, for most of us, we go through our entire lives and we maintain ownership of our anxiety. We just maintain it because that's the way humans are built. But you know, you got to look at, at, at anxiety as, as, a, as a piece of property, property. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, who owns the deed to my anxiety? Do I own it or have I signed it over to the Lord God through Jesus Christ? Is that what I've done or have I kept that deed in my own name? And to cast doesn't mean we just casually lay it down. It means you throw it away from you. And I, I take on the illustration of casting a fishing line. You know, you, you throw it out there and uh, you missed and you've got to reel it back in. And you throw it again, uh, wrong spot again. And you're reeling. It takes all this work. And then finally, you land it in the right spot. And you go, yes, perfect. And, and the pressure is off and you finally have peace. That's a great reference. Um, casting all your anxiety on him. It's easy to say, though, because, you know, my spouse isn't dying and I'm not walking hundreds of miles with a suitcase and a baby trying to cross a border to get to safety. So casting anxiety, these are just words. How do we make them real? And, you know, and that's a really hard thing to do. If you're not having that experience, it's really hard to make that experience real. However, the scriptures give us a key to link into that reality and those scriptures just happen to be in the exact context that we're talking about here. First Peter chapter 5, verse 9. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. And the word resist here means to stand against, that is, oppose. Satan's roar is a ferocious challenge, and it's a warning to those who like us who follow the lion of the tribe of Judah to leave his territory or else be overwhelmed or consumed. And coping with the loss or tragedies of our loved ones can be debilitating, time-consuming, discouraging. And during such time, it's a great comfort to realize that our brotherhood is also standing, fighting, and overcoming the ferocity of Satan's roar. It can be done. And, and see, the Apostle Peter understood this in a, in a, in a profound way. So when he describes the roar of, uh, of this lion, Satan, coming to devour, to consume us, to obliterate us, he adds into that context, this is what's going to happen to you. This is what you're going to face. And the encouragement that he brings is, but resist, and Jonathan, you said it means to stand against. Why? Why stand? Because the ground on which you stand is holy, because you know that the same experiences of suffering are accomplished by your brethren, wherever they may be. So, folks, here's the challenge. Julie, you had asked, how do you make those things real? What the Apostle Peter is telling us to do is to engage in the experiences of the brotherhood. In other words, fellowship. Have, have, a, have a, the ability to communicate with them and feel what they're going through and let them feel what you're going through and mutually hold each other up, bury each other up, protect each other, walk together. And you may not have to be the person who is walking hundreds of miles with a suitcase like so many people are right now as we speak because of a war going on that just shouldn't be. Put yourself in the position of, I can be supportive. And you may not be able to feel it the way they feel it, but you can be a part of their experience and therefore they can be a part of yours. So there's a give and take here. We need each other. That's what the apostle's telling us. Make no mistake, this is not a one-on-one -on -one battle. It is not me standing against Satan myself with my armor saying, okay, I'm ready for him. Oh, no, 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 no. It has to be me standing with Jonathan on my right side and Julie on my left side and all the rest of the, the brotherhood surrounding me so we can stand together. That's the way this battle needs to be. Satan's roar lurks in the experiences of every true Christian's life. Stand your ground, for the ground on which we stand is holy. Don't ever forget that the work of your life is holy work. And the question we want to ask ourselves is, how are we doing against the ferocity of his threats when he comes after 
our very heart, after the things that are most dear to us. One of my Christian friends recently lost her husband to an unexpected heart attack in his sleep, and she and their 16-year-old son are just devastated. And these kind of things can go one way or another. You know, you can curse God and run away, but she's trusting that the Lord will care for them, and she's redoubled her efforts to study and be close with our church group, but yet my friend and her son, they still cry and they grieve. So we don't want to minimize in any way the grieving process. What are your thoughts on that? Stand your ground. Now, let me explain that, because I don't mean stand your ground like, oh, forget the grief, just be strong and, and be tough and, and forget it. No, 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 no. Stand your ground is to experience the appropriate grief, because it does hurt. And to be able to experience it and go through all of the stages of the grief, it's needed, it's valuable, and grief is actually a growing experience, especially, especially if we go through our grieving knowing that the providence of God is guiding us. Then you can grow through the grief. So when I say stand your ground, I mean go through that grief knowing the providence of God is guiding you. And then you can hand it over to him so that it will be in his hands, not yours, when the time is right. In contrast, rather than ferocious threats, let's look at Jesus's approach to all of humanity. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you are resting, you aren't anxious. And if you are anxious, you aren't resting. <laughs> that's good. And, and that's so important. Am I resting or am I anxious? And, and I will tell you, you know, just, just personal quick, quick, quick story. There are a lot of times when I finish with doing some kind of work or other and I am supposed to rest and I'm just, I'm just, I'm just restless. And if I'm restless, that means I'm anxious and it means I haven't let go enough and that's a challenge. It's a challenge. It's a challenge for me. I can tell you that. It's, it's definitely a challenge for me. Well, Satan's roar, he may roar at us over the deepest matters of our hearts like we've been talking about. Jesus beckons us to come to him for rest from the deepest matters of our hearts. Satan roars at us over those things because he wants to derail us through those things. And Jesus is saying, come to me and rest and I'll get you through this experience. I think we could have called this episode how not to fall apart when things go really wrong. <laughs> well, yeah, and you're right. <laughs> you know, a lot of that's what we're doing here. We're preparing, studying ourselves, learning, breathing deeply in between the difficulties. And this helps us with a word that keeps coming in my mind throughout this whole hour, resilience. This helps us to be resilient. Yeah, yeah, and we need to be. We need to be, and, and a soldier, and remember, this is a picture of the soldier. Soldier on the outside looks pretty good, right? All armed and ready to go. But what's that soldier like on the inside? That's what we're talking about, and that's where the roar of Satan will get us. Because you know what? If you're standing, and there's a lion in the vicinity, and you've got, you've got armor on, and that lion roars, you're, you feel it throughout your body. Your body shakes, literally. You can have all the armor on you want. You're still going to shake. Are you prepared on the inside to manage that? Stand your ground. Don't let the lion's roar derail you because you are uh, you're, you're hurting uh, you're, you're of your hurting heart. Rather, do stand disciplined in the grace of God, knowing He supplies all our needs. And we have a quote about Satan from a 19th-century English preacher named C. H. Surgeon: Resist. Be more prayerful every time he is more active. He will soon give it up if he finds that his attacks drive you to Christ. Often has Satan been nothing but a big black dog to drive Christians, uh, um, to drive Christ's sheep nearer to the master. And that's what we need to be looking at. Am I allowing Satan's roar to push me away, to derail me? Or am I using it to say, I'm just going to get closer to the Father, because it's His providence that will guide me and continue to keep me safe and sound and protect me because I've got the armor on the outside and the sense of casting my anxiety upon Him on the inside. 
You know, it reminds me back when you said, remember, you've got the big lion, the roaring 25 lawnmower roar yeah. lion. And then you've got these little tiny soldiers that they're armed or they're armored up and they're all in a row. But the reason they're successful is because that giant lion tribe of Judah lion, Jesus is standing behind us. That's right. And because we're on that holy ground, that's where we have the victory. And if he be for us, who can stand against us? I mean, that's, exactly. that's really what it comes down to. So as we combat the lion's roar, there are many do's and many don'ts. Do remain dedicated. Don't disengage. So now it comes down to dedication, dedication or, or disengage, being disengaged. Am I going to stay on it or am I going to withdraw from it? So as we go into our next step, remember there's four things here. Be humble, cast your care on him, be of sober spirit, and be on the alert. Now for our third way to internally prepare for Satan's attack. 1 Peter 5, 8. Be of sober spirit. Satan sometimes aims his roar at the sources of our personal stability. Okay, so we're talking about personal stability here. This roar can be particularly frightening as our ability to support ourselves and to be firmly established to care for ourselves is usually at the heart of our ability to serve our God. Sometimes we have protections that can keep us going or ways of, to temporarily, temporarily plug our stability holes, but other times we may end up losing everything as a result. Either way, the question remains, am I with a sober spirit facing the disruptive and financial challenges before me, knowing that the very hairs of my head are all numbered? And examples of this might be, you've lost your job, you have no pension, your alimony ends. How you make ends meet? Financial uncertainty is consistently ranked as one of the top stressors in the United States. So let's take a closer look at that verse eight, be of sober spirit. According to Thayer's lexicon, to be sober spirit, be a sober spirit means to be calm and collected in spirit, to be temperate, dispassionate and circumspect. So we need a clear direction for our focus. And through all these trials and scary challenges and heartaches, we can't lose sight of our true direction in life. And if we put down our spiritual armor, we become too vulnerable to Satan's attacks and he wins. And I like to think of this, that we have to be spiritual weebles. Have you heard of that before? <laughs> weebles <laughs> wobble. Do, okay. you, yeah. do you remember weebles? So they were this little egg-shaped toy that I played with as a child. They were designed in such a way using a weight and gravity that they couldn't tip over or stay on their side. They would always right themselves. And the slogan was, weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. So this whole lesson makes me think that we might wobble in any one direction for a time, but we want to right ourselves back to the center of our own personal stability. Be the weeble. Okay, so Julie talks about being the weeble when we're talking about being of sober spirit. <laughs> <laughs> because we, they wobble, weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. Be serious, folks. Be serious. Be like a weeble. <laughs> It's just, it's just, it's just the, the combination is just too good. And, and here's the thing, folks, again, and this is so important. Satan's roar, it lurks in every experience of our, all of our Christian lives. Stand your ground because the ground on which we stand is holy. And I keep saying that because we keep needing the reminder. The ferocity of Satan's roar can easily, easily make us forget that the works of our hands are to support the works of holiness in our lives. And when we do run into challenges with those things, remember, always remember, it's God's providence that brings the challenge. It's God's direction, and sometimes it's God's redirection. The question is, what do I do with it? Because when God's providence comes into a difficult experience, inevitably Satan's roar is going to follow it. And he's going to try to give us misdirection. We have to be redirected instead. In contrast, rather than ferocious threats, let's look at how Jesus calms our lives. Matthew eleven twenty nine, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, and you will find rest for your souls. So while Satan roars to instill serious doubt when the personal stability of our lives is either threatened or interrupted, what does Jesus do? Jesus promises that working alongside of him will give rest to our souls. 
there's still work, but you're working alongside of Jesus, and it brings you rest to your souls. So you got the choice, Satan's roar or the lion of the tribe of Judah. Folks, stand your ground. Don't let the lion's roar distract you through major disruption of your personal stability. Rather, do remain determined to rest in Jesus and clearly focus on the big picture of God's providence unfolding for your highest benefit. It's a matter of being determined and not being distracted, even though the distraction is fearful. I mean, it literally shakes you from the inside out when you hear that roar. Satan's attacks on our lives can be deeply personal. Always be awake, aware, and wearing the armor of God. So, Satan attacks our personal security, our very hearts, and our personal stability. What's left? Today's conversation is to focus us on the fact that when trials happen in our lives, we can be sure of two things. First, Satan will inevitably try to thoroughly intimidate us and shake our faith. Second, we can be sure, and this is the most important thing, we can be sure of God's care and guidance to get us through these experiences. Two things, Satan attacks and God cares. God's providence is more powerful than Satan's attack as long as we stay with his providence. When we're combating the lion's roar, there are do's and there are don'ts. Do remain devout. Don't be devoured. You know, it's interesting. If you look at the word devout and you look at the word devour, all you do is change the last letter and you get a totally different word. Devout means standing strong. Devour means you're gone. Okay? So don't let that subtle detail change you. Stand devout in faith. We're talking about four things to help us from the inside out. Be humble, cast your anxiety on him, be of sober spirit, and be on the alert. The fourth way to prepare internally for the lion's roar, 1 Peter 5, 8. Be on the alert. For many of us, Satan will aim his roar at our physical beings. This roar can be upsetting on the deepest of levels as it can cause us to see how fragile and terminal our lives can be. When looking at my life through the eyes of its end, the capacity for regret, for insecurity, and fear can dramatically escalate. All of this creates greater liability to be devoured by the adversary. And I just want to pause here for a moment and, and, and share a personal experience. Uh, two months ago, I had an experience, uh, and Jonathan, you and Julie are both very familiar with this, where unbeknownst to me, I had several blood clots form in my legs and travel up into my lungs. And they were just sitting there and growing and growing and growing. I thought I had other issues. There were other things going on, but I had no idea about the blood clots. And if you remember the podcast on January 24th, and Julie, you do a great imitation of me that night. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could barely string two sentences together without getting out of breath. Yeah. And my, fortunately, my, my wife was, was very aware that something was wrong. Even though they, the, the doctors had put me on medication, it wasn't helping. And she complained to my daughter, who's an APRN, and my daughter is the one who made me put this oximeter on. And long story short, she and my wife made me exercise, and my blood oxygen level dropped through the floor. And I was in the emergency room the next morning and in the hospital. And... Several doctors told me very plainly, your daughter saved your life. And apparently one lug was pretty much turned off and the other was on its way. And they basically said, you're in you were in line to basically drop dead one day, just pass out for no reason because the clots were growing uninhibited. This caused me to stop and think. And I looked at my life. I'm sitting in the hospital bed after all of this happened, thinking about could have ended. It could have just been done. And it caused me to just reconsider everything about my Christianity, things that had been done, the things that hadn't been done, asking the Lord, if, if, if it is my time, please take care of my, my beloved wife and my family. And, you know, you, you, you look at that and you say, Satan tried, but God's providence was bigger. It was stronger. And by God's grace, literally lived to breathe another day. So what do we do with that? We need to take those experiences and move forward with the, the inspiration that while Satan's roar will try to get you at any turn, God's providence provided a very attentive wife 
and a very alert daughter to literally give me a second chance. Sometimes we have cures and treatments that can bring us back to health and full energy, and that's what happened with me. But other times, other times, folks, these issues can lead to years of pain and suffering and even the end of life, the end of our Christian walk. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a very difficult thing for us to, to be able to deal with. And I just want to add that physical pain, especially when it's long-term, is a very difficult trial. And when we're in pain, we can think of little else other than trying to get relief. So we have to redouble our efforts and remember that we can't be both resentful and grateful at the same time. We have to consciously choose gratitude. And sometimes that's a moment by moment choice. And that's how serious it is. But some preachers of the so-called prosperity gospel say that you can pray for healing. And if you're a good Christian, only positive things will happen to us. So Rick, with your blood clot, does that mean that you sinned somewhere along the line and were being punished? Well, Jesus learned obedience from the things he suffered. Why would we expect any less? Good point. Well, and, and, and yeah, when, when we look at that, I looked at that experience as the providence of God. I needed a little bit of a wake-up call. That's what I needed. And so for me, the Lord, by God's grace, he gave me the wake-up call and literally allowed me to wake up, literally, and be able to move forward with another day and another opportunity of service. So we have to, to look at the experience and say, no, it, trials and difficulties are supposed to happen. Just like you said, Jonathan, Jesus learned by the things that he suffered. Why should we expect anything less? So let's understand that it's when we suffer, though, that the roar is loudest. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, am I with an alert heart and mind facing my physical issues, knowing that God's grace and blessing will never leave me as long as I persevere? That's the question we need to ask ourselves. And we're talking about 1 Peter 5, 8, be on the alert. To be alert is to be vigilant, and that means to be awake and giving strict attention. So this implies that we remain focused on the most important thing, which of course is or should be our call to sacrifice and following Jesus's footsteps. But we've got to do that when we handle everything else in our lives. So it gets a little muddled. So how many times do we drive somewhere and we get to our destination, not even remembering how we got there? We were on autopilot, not paying attention. Then suddenly a bicyclist jumps out and we get shook up because we weren't expecting it. So we need to constantly be on the alert expecting that dangerous lion to be lurking around the corner waiting for us. So you're, you're right. And we can't go through our Christian lives on autopilot because Satan's roar will just take us out, okay? We will be devoured instead of standing in a devout way. Satan's roar lurks in the experiences of all of our lives. Every Christian, every true Christian, his roar is there. Stand your ground because the ground on which we stand is holy. The ferocity of Satan's roar can easily make us forget that our bodies— Folks, our bodies are the temple of God's own Holy Spirit. We belong to the Father and to his holy work. The roar of Satan has no place in that. Do not let it in. In contrast, rather than ferocious threats, let's look at how Jesus encourages our sacrificial lives. Matthew 11, 30. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Man, what a difference. What an incredible difference between this, this, this attempt to obliterate us and then the, the, the soft-spoken power and might of the Lord Jesus, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. While Satan roars, Satan's roars can amplify our physical challenges, Jesus' message is simply that he will never leave us or forsake us. He is saying in this scripture, his yoke fits my life. His burden, it's, 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 it's work. His burden is not heavy, but it's blessed. That's what we need to see. That's what we need to understand when the roar of the lion comes to try to shake us up so we can be devoured. Folks, it's really simple. Stand your ground. Don't let the lion's roar devour you through the physical maladies of life. Rather, do remain devout in your working alongside of our Lord Jesus, knowing that every ounce of our physical strength is sanctified to the very end of our life. So understand that it's all in the hands of God. But Satan is allowed 
to attempt the intimidation, to attempt the fear, to attempt the derailing, to attempt the movement, to attempt the second guessing, to attempt keeping the anxiety and getting depressed and all of those things. He's allowed to do that, but God's providence is still always there. In conclusion, this is simple. You know what the conclusion is? Hey, drum roll, please. Resist Satan's roar. Duh, okay. <laughs> all of us must, as a body, work together to resist this roar. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. Okay, we're in our same context, and Jonathan, I'm going to have you read it in small parts and just kind of sum it up as you go. After you have suffered for a little while. Okay, pause there. After you've withstood the roars of the adversary, after you've held each other up and served our Lord Jesus and each other in the most holy work of our lives, then, then what does the scripture say? The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. So, so the almighty father himself who created this magnificent plan of salvation and invited you into this plan of salvation how does, how does the, the apostle finish the scripture? Will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. So just like we said at the very beginning, this lion's war is all about dominion. So as he finishes this letter, the apostle Peter reminds us it is, was, and ever will be about God's dominion. So let that lion roar. We stand our ground. And that is the lesson here. That is the beginning and in middle of the lesson. He's going to roar. He's desperate. We are armed on the outside, and we need to be armed on the inside to withstand the roar. Because, you know, the roar is not that physical battle. It's that emotional battle. It's the mental battle. It's the feeling battle that we need to have these four things we've been talking about in place. So the big question is, who wins? Well, we live at the end of the age, and we know that this world is crumbling, and we live at this time. And this is a life and death battle. It's, there's, man, this next scripture, folks, I, I love this. I, I just love the way the scriptures support each other to tell the story. The Apostle Paul subtly and eloquently shows us how this particular battle against the lion's roar will turn out. Let's look at Romans chapter 16, verse 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. It's a simple statement. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Whose feet? The feet of the, 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 the body of Christ. And when you think about it, when you look at the body of Christ and you have all the members, the feet are the final, the end. There's no more body after the feet. So it really is an illustration of at the end of the age, Satan will be crushed because God positions it under your feet. So what this is saying is the father puts his soldiers in the right place at the right time. So as soldiers, we can be a part of crushing Satan. How do we do it? By remaining faithful by remaining faithful to the things that we know and the things that we're called to do. We need the external armor and the internal preparedness to make sure that that external armor, armor is used in the appropriate battle. So let's sum up those four things that Satan roars at. Well, Satan will sometimes aim his roar at a central source of our human needs and security. Satan sometimes aims his roar at our hearts, our very core. Satan sometimes aims his roar at the sources of our personal stability. And Satan will aim his roar at our physical beings. So those are the things he aims at. The question is, what are we going to do when it happens? And it will happen. It has happened, and it will continue to happen. One more scripture to set the context of God's providence being the overriding power as we stand against the roar of the lion. Romans chapter 8, verses 35 to 39. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. 
But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is a scripture that sums up the battle that we have been talking about. Folks, it comes down to understanding that God's providence is ever-present in the life of true Christians. It is ever-present. Satan's roar is also ever-present. His objective, to devour, to obliterate, to knock you out, to take you away from your mission to serve Lord God Almighty. Make the choice to understand that and stand armed on the outside and armed on the inside. So you, as a true Christian, can follow Jesus because he came to take the, the governments back from Satan, and we are the, the individuals who are actually accomplishing the will of God through Christ. Folks, if you are a true Christian, stand your ground. Think about it. Folks, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions in this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our podcast is subscribing to Christian Questions in your favorite podcast channel, such as Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Podbean or iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate us and review us. We greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, we're talking about fighting against Satan here. Next week, does the Bible tell us how the world will end? Yeah, actually, it kind of does. What about it? Well, we'll talk to you about that next week.